Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, this is the Masson All Access Podcast. Brendan Mortensen joined via Zoom by Paul Mancano. And Paul, the last time we did one of these podcasts over Zoom, I tried to do my Paul Mancano impression for the intro, and it just didn't have the same gravitas as you always bring, so I I just didn't even go for it this time. I I tried a different thing. It's just not going to be the same. It, it's not. I mean, uh, yeah, a couple of notes. It's from inside the warehouse. I'm going to change it up a little it bit. It is a little bit. Not this is the mess. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, just just shake it up next time. Just just go for something totally new. It, it didn't have the same ring to it. I tried to change some words here and there, but it, nice, it just didn't roll off the tongue. Nice well. use of gravitas, though. Thank you. Got to say. Yeah. Yeah. Not not a wordle word. A little too long for a wordle word. Wordle word. Goodness. Yeah. That's a hard thing to say. Paul, we we should start this morning with the news that Zach Lowther options to AAA Norfolk. We thought, hold on, hold on, Brendan, 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 before we get into that, I gotta, I gotta explain myself here as to why I'm, I'm joining via Zoom, uh, because, uh, I am, I am currently out of action with a non COVID illness. I've tested negative. So fear not. Uh, but, uh, I mean, as you can hear, I mean, this is not good. Brendan, there is, there's more mucus in my head right now, then there are thoughts. It's, I mean, this is, uh, we are four days away, three days away from Orioles opening day. And this is the state of things. I mean, I'm a medical, I'm a walking medical malady between the tooth, between the, the illness, things are not good for the yeah. mass and all access podcast. Brendan, I think we're, we're feeling the toll of a shortened spring training. Yeah, just we, as the players are. Look, people around the league were worried that a shortened spring training might lead to injuries for some players once the regular season started. They did not take into account the injuries that might occur to broadcasters leading up to the, the regular season. Yeah. That's the real concern here. That's what the people should be worried about. Honestly, yeah. I mean, it's 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 not like fouling a ball off my toe, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to play through this. But you know what? For the podcast, for the breaking news, had there not been breaking news over the weekend, I might've had to, to, you know, skip this one, but I think that we got a, I think we got a lot to discuss here, Brendan. Yeah. A lot to talk about before opening day in just a few days. And before I was so rudely interrupted by Paul Mancano, I started with the fact that Zach Lowther this morning was options down to triple a Norfolk. Paul, you and I thought that he might be a contender for the starting rotation. We had heard Brandon Hyde talk about the fact that they might use some tandems in the starting rotation. Maybe a Tyler Wells, Zach Lowther combination was a possibility, but Zach Lowther with a really poor performance against the pirates yesterday, kind of pitches his way out of this starting rotation conversation and back down to triple a Norfolk. He goes. Yeah, four earned runs in four and two-thirds innings this spring. And we've said it before, the sample size is so small with these guys that it's tough to, they have one bad outing and that can just totally skew the numbers. But it's frustrating, I think, because we were hoping to get, especially after the moves that we're going to talk about, the trade that we're going to talk about, a, a better look at some of these young guys because of the open spots. There are plenty of spots available for young guys to take. Um, even though the competition should be pretty fierce. And I thought we both expected that Lowther would either make it 
as the fifth starter in that rotation that we think is going to be, you know, headlined by means and Lyles with Tyler Wells taking over the third spot and Dean Kramer taking that fourth spot, that fifth spot seemed to be open to a Zach Lowther. And if he couldn't grab that, maybe he could be a long reliever or a piggyback guy. The Orioles are going to go with 15 pitchers on the 28 man opening day roster. So that's a lot of opportunities for guys. And for Zach Lowther to not seize that opportunity, it's understandable why the Orioles decided to option him considering he did not look that good. But it is frustrating because you'd hope at this point, considering the months, couple months he got under his belt at the big league level in 2021, that he would be ready. But he appears not to be ready for the opening day roster here. But hopefully something can change over the next couple weeks and months. Yeah, Zach Lowther had a lot of encouraging signs in September last year. We talked about how good he looked down the stretch. But yesterday just falls apart. Goes two and a third, four earned runs, four walks. So the command was just horrible for Zach Lowther and the competition for the back end of the rotation. Now it seems like we haven't discussed Mike Bauman all that much, but he's still here. He's still in that conversation. And I think Mike Bauman has a pretty good chance to be one of those tandem guys. We heard Dean Kramer was kind of leading the pack behind John Means, Jordan Lyles and Tyler Wells for maybe that number four spot in the rotation. But Dean Kramer has not looked excellent in his last outing. And then Bruce Zimmerman, has been okay so far in spring training. We thought he was pretty much a lock, but I think the final spots in the rotation, Paul, now pretty much come down to Zimmerman, Keegan Aiken, who I believe will get the start tomorrow, Mike Bauman, and Dean Kramer. And we thought coming in that Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells would be a much larger part of that conversation than they are right now. And I think that our expectation for Bauman was that he's just not quite ready partly because of the workload, because he missed time with injury back in 2020. In addition to having no minor league season, 2021, he was still working his way back from injury. Remember he started back in double a buoy before he worked his way back up to triple a. So the, the expectation was this guy's not ready to be opening day in your rotation with the expectation. He's going to hold down a spot for the season. So I think we counted out Mike Bauman for that reason. He's here until he's not. And I think that's that's what we learned with Zach Lowther is that these guys, anything can change any given day. And the Orioles still have to 11 guys. They're at 39 right now, and they have to get down to 28. So while Bauman is still here, I still have the concerns about his workload. And I think the Orioles probably would prefer to have a Dean Kramer or Bruce Zimmerman. We were both a little bit more experienced than Bauman and maybe give Bauman a little bit more time to work his arm back up to being in full season shape, but he could sneak in a spot, I think. And if not, you could use him as a long relief because he's got great stuff. And we saw the Orioles deploy him in that way. Remember he didn't even start games last year at the big league level. They just used him out of the bullpen. So maybe they have a similar thing in mind for him this year, and maybe they use him sparingly out of the bullpen for the first couple of weeks and then work his way into the rotation I think it's all in flux, but like you said, Brendan, Lowther and Wells, we both expected to be bigger parts of the conversation and they're not right now. Neither of those guys are going to break camp with the team. Now the conversation kind of narrows down to Zimmerman, Aiken, Bauman, and Kramer. And given the Orioles move on Sunday, it seems like some of those guys might find their way in the Orioles bullpen because now there are two open spots after the Orioles trade on Sunday t- sending Tanner Scott and Cole Sulser to the Marlins in exchange for some prospects, a draft pick, and a player to be named later. You see the trade there. That draft pick becomes number 67 
next year. It is a competitive balance round B pick. And number 67 is very high. That is right around where the Orioles picked Kyle Stowers a few years ago, picked Anthony Servideo there in 2020. So that pick number 67, Michael Elias said, was probably the best part of the return. They also get lefty Antonio Velez, who pitched a little bit in double-A last year. Michael Elias expects him to start at double-A this season. Kevin Guerrero, a 17-year-old international signing. He's going to be playing in the Dominican Summer League more than likely. And then that player to, to be named later as well. But Paul Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer no longer in this Orioles bullpen. What does Brandon Hyde do at the end of games without these guys here? I think he knocks on Michael Elias's door and asks for some kind of, you know, like edible arrangement or some kind of gift uh, for what he is, he is going to be dealing with, with the end of the bullpen. I look, I think honestly though, I think some of the concerns are a little bit overblown. Cole Solcer was very good last year, 270 ERA. Two years ago, not so much. Tanner Scott, two years ago, he was excellent. 128, I believe, ERA in the short in 2020. Last year, not so much. ERA over five. These two guys, and all relievers are kind of year to year, but these two guys in particular have not given you a ridiculous amount of production. And with the number of young guys, both in the bullpen and in the starting rotation, that are expected to and hoping to be making a jump at some point over the next couple of weeks and months, there are opportunities and there will be opportunities to see young guys. It is kind of difficult for your manager to be, to have two of his more reliable bullpen arms just taken away from him, especially in Sulcer. But I mean, there's no guarantee that Sulcer was going to be able to repeat his production from 2021 because that was the best year of his career by far. And it came in his age 31 season and Tanner Scott, we, it's been the same story throughout Tanner Scott's career in Baltimore is if he can just control the walks, he can become a much better pitcher. He can become a much more reliable reliever. And he just hasn't, he, he never has over the course of his career. Last year, he really struggled similar to Paul Fry in the second half of the season, six, nine, five ERA over the last couple of months of the season, as opposed to two, six, five right before the deadline. So, or right before that. So, it's frustrating. I get it. And especially for Brandon Hyde, because those are two less guys that you can call on, but look, it's, it's not like Tanner Scott was lights out for you last year. You'll definitely feel the impact of Cole Sulcer being removed from that bullpen. But I think that there will be, and hopefully Michael Elias is banking on the fact that there will be more names and more players who can step up and fill that void. Yeah. You mentioned the walk numbers for Tanner Scott, like he's 27 years old, soon to be 28 I think there needs to be a certain point down the line with Tanner Scott where we just can't keep saying, well, if he gets the walks under control, he'll be great. Yeah. This, this stuff is Absolutely. great, but we've been saying for years and years and years with Tanner Scott, if he just gets the walks under control and he simply has not. They've been consistently bad. He's shown no improvement in the walk department. Last year, he had 6.2 walks per nine in a short 2020 where he put up excellent numbers, like you mentioned, Paul, a 131 ERA, a whip just over one. The walk numbers were better at four and a half walks per nine, but that's still not good. And it's a short sample size that is greatly benefiting the walk numbers there. And then six and a half walks per nine in 2019. So over the last three plus seasons, we have not seen any improvement in the command of Tanner Scott. 
And the strikeout numbers are always good. He had close to 12 strikeouts per nine last year. He had over 12 and a half in 2019. So Tanner Scott, whenever he goes into a seventh, eighth, ninth inning, he's either going to be lights out or he's going to walk the bases loaded and you're going to lose that game. That's just kind of what Tanner Scott has given you over the last few years. And you can't really trust somebody in the back end of your bullpen who is going to be that inconsistent, walk that many people, and entering his age 28 season, you just can't keep waiting around for Tanner Scott to finally figure out the command. Yeah, you said he's not a 25-year-old anymore. And we saw the Orioles make a move like this with a 25-year-old two years ago when they traded Miguel Castro at the deadline to the Mets. And I know there was some frustration because Castro was in a similar boat as Scott, where he was a former highly touted prospect from their system, had great stuff, great fastball, was used as a reliever. There was some hope early in his career that he could be used as a starter, but ultimately that was abandoned and then just could not get his command where the Orioles needed it to be for him to be an effective reliever. And he's gone on to be just okay. And I think with both Scott and with Solcer, neither of these guys are going to be moving the needle for you all that much. I mean, they might win you a couple more games because you might have Scott hold, pick up a, a hold and Solcer pick up a save every now and again. But that's not moving the needle for where you are in 2022. And if you have an opportunity to make a long-term play here, you should do it. And I think that attaching a young guy with promise, still young, so to speak, you know, you talked about Tanner Scott's not, he's not 25 anymore, but he is 27 turning 28 to an older, slightly more reliable reliever in Cole Solcer allowed you to get the best possible return, packaging those guys together. We talked about packaging early in the off season, packaging Paul Fry and, Tanner Scott together because they were two lefties who you could say, well, maybe one of those guys will turn into something. I think that's what the Orioles did here. They maximized their return by packaging the two of them because on their own, I don't know if Cole Solcer or Tanner Scott gets you all that much. Right. It's entirely possible that the Orioles have traded Cole Solcer at his peak value. I mean, look, he's a yes. very late bloomer. He didn't make his major league debut until he was 29, had a bad 2020 in his age 30 season. And I think we've seen concerns about, well, how are you trading Cole Solcer when he has four more years left of team control? Well, Cole Solcer is 31. Are we trusting an age 31 breakout season? This is going to be his age 32 season. And yes, he has four more years of team control, but are you all that worried about having Cole Solcer from when he's 32 to 36 and he didn't have any success at the major league level until he was 31. He was fantastic last year, a 270 ERA, a whip over 1.1, 73 strikeouts. And I think it does leave a lot of question marks in terms of who the Orioles closer might be for this year, because you have no Tanner Scott, who probably wasn't going to close games anyway, but you could have seen him in the seventh or eighth inning. Cole Solcer might have been the closer and Tyler Wells makes the transition to the starting rotation. So really at the back end of the bullpen, you're looking at Jorge Lopez maybe closing out games. I'm not really sure who Brandon Hyde turns to here. Yeah, and I think the role of closer is different now than it was. First off, I think it's different for a team that is not expected to compete like the Orioles than it would be for a winning ball club. But also I think it's different now than it was several years ago. It's all about high leverage now. It's it's not necessarily about who gets the ball when you're up two or three runs in the ninth inning. It's about who can get the key outs in the eighth or seventh inning when you're facing the middle of the other team's lineup. High leverage kind of 
situations. And so I don't know if anybody will be the designated closer. At this point last year, Cesar Valdez was the Orioles closer, and that did not turn out all too well, even though he looked okay for the opening weekend up in Fenway. So I think that the, the kind of question of who the closer is can be overblown at times. And especially with the Orioles right now, they got to settle out. They got to settle their infield. They have to settle their rotation. They have a lot of questions that don't just relate to their bullpen. I think they have to solve a lot more things like questions like that before they can kind of get into who is their closer. Um, but I do understand, you know, the concern in terms of taking out Cole Solcer and Tanner Scott were both higher leverage guys, even though, you know, Solcer was the, the designated closer, so to speak. So there will have to be opportunities for guys. I think of guys like Isaac Matson, who I know he was injured and he's kind of working his way back. Uh, CNL Perez and Brian Baker, the two waiver claims. I think both those guys now we thought they would make the team. And I think their chances of making the team just jump dramatically uh, because of this trade. I think of Travis Lakin senior, who also we expected. I think I had him in my 28 man roster prediction. You did not. I think his chances of making this team because he is a bona fide or bona fide reliever. I think his chances of making this team increase. And then you have the returning guys with Jorge Lopez, Dylan Tate, Paul Fry, and then maybe Felix Bautista fills in as, as a reliever. And then you can use other guys as, as piggyback. Zach Lather's now out of the conversation, but maybe Keegan Aiken fills a spot like that. Maybe once Bruce Zimmerman's spot is taken in the rotation, he's bumped to the bullpen and he's used in a spot like that. So the Orioles have options. You know, their options may not be as good now that you've taken out two of their better relievers, but they do have options. Yeah, I think CNL Perez almost definitely makes the team now that you've traded your left-handed reliever in Tanner Scott. He's had a really good spring training. Brian Baker and Felix Bautista, like you mentioned, have also had good spring trainings. So there are options in the Orioles bullpen. It is just a lot of younger, unproven options rather than the more proven commodities in Tanner Scott and Cole Sulcer. But I think, like you said, Paul, you're maximizing your return there. So let's talk about the return a little bit. Probably the biggest piece of this trade, like Michael Elias mentioned, was the pick number 67, which is a a really high pick. That's probably the third player that you're, third or fourth player, I believe, that you're going to be selecting at that spot. Last year, around that range, the Orioles took Reed Trimble at number 65 and John Rhodes at number 76. Rhodes is now the Orioles' 23rd-ranked prospect in their top 30, according to MOB Pipeline. Reed Trimble is your 24th. I mentioned in 2020, they picked Anthony Servideo at pick number 74. He's just outside of the Orioles' top 30, was previously, and he's probably a 30-35 to prospect at this point. And then in 2019, like I mentioned, you pick Kyle Stowers at number 71, who is now the Orioles' eighth-ranked prospect. So when you're looking at this trade, yes, the draft pick is down the line, but you've probably just gotten a top 25 or 30 prospect to go along with Antonio Velez, who is probably in that 30 to 40 range in the Orioles' farm system. So I think it's a pretty solid return for Tanner Scott and Cole Sulcer. Yeah, the pick is fascinating because it's we don't get to see trades like this that involve draft picks very often in baseball because it only the picks that are the uh, competitive balance round picks are able to be traded. Everything else is off the table. And you said it was the I think it's going to be their fourth pick because the Orioles are going to have number one overall, the first pick in competitive balance round A, the first pick in the second round, and then they're going to have this pick, I believe. Um, so it's it's going to be 
their fourth pick in that top 70, which is pretty incredible, the amount of high draft picks that the Orioles are accumulating. Michael Elias called it the most salient part of this this draft this uh, trade rather so the the most important real part because he said anything's possible with a high draft pick yes but I always think of the reference that you make Brendan of the mystery box from Family Guy where it's right like they are offering Peter Griffin a boat or a mystery box and Peter says let's go with the mystery box because it could it could be even be a boat so that's what the the Orioles are you know all of these things are are kind of way down the line and you're it's a mystery box but it's a it's a lottery pick um in this instance and i think it makes sense to kind of get that back as a return because you get to really have your pick um literally and you know figuratively like you get to you get to decide who you're taking there and that's a pretty valuable pick if you're going to get one there um so i I think that's an interesting part of this return and then the the other guys antonio velez and kevin guerrero Velez is going to start out in Bowie, according to Michael Elias, if not if not AAA Norfolk. So he was very good last year, used mostly as a starter, 309 ERA, eight and a half Ks per nine. His command is outstanding. Just one walk per nine in 2021 in 99 innings last year. Kind of strikes me as like an Alexander Wells type, left-handed guy that doesn't have ridiculously high strikeout numbers, but has great command and hopefully can have that translate as he goes up the question of whether his stuff will translate, we'll see, but maybe this is a guy that you factor in as you're as potentially a starter or reliever at some point during the 2022 season. And then the center fielder, 17 years old, 2021 signee from the Dominican Republic, just another lottery pick. I mean, just another way to bolster your international presence played in the Dominican summer league last year. So it's just a 17 year old kid. He's ways away from, the big leagues or even triple a or double a. So the hope is that one of these guys that you've gotten in these many trades hits at some point. And by the way, the Orioles doing a ridiculous numbers of trades. I feel like with the Marlins over the past couple of years, remember the Jonathan VR trade was a Marlins trade. The Richard Blyer trade was a Marlins trade. Now they get this trade done right before the season, unlikely trade partners, but they have, uh, they found each other on the phone very often. Yeah. Yeah, Guerrero, too, like you mentioned, he got a $600,000 signing bonus, which is not insignificant. So he clearly has some good tools. But Velez, I think, is really interesting. He pitched at Florida State until he was 23. So didn't even get to a major league system until later on in his career. Went undrafted in 2020 in that really weird just five-round format. Probably would have been drafted among the first... 10 rounds or so. We saw how many talented players signed as undrafted free agents in 2020. Velez, one of those. And his command, like you mentioned, Paul, it's insane. (laughs) He just walked one batter per nine innings last season. And his strikeout numbers are still pretty good for that command being what it is. Around eight and a half per nine in the minors so far. So I think Velez could be a very quick riser. Like you mentioned, going to start in double A will probably be up at triple A Norfolk pretty quickly, I would imagine. So Antonio Velez, uh, Vivek mentions on YouTube that he thinks Velez might be a little bit toolsier than Alexander Wells, maybe a little bit higher potential there with his stuff. So maybe he's just another potential starter thrown into that mix with kind of the Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells group that we've talked about so often over the last few years. And I saw people talking on Twitter about the fact that the Tanner Scott Cole Solcer trade allows the Orioles to open up couple extra spots in the 40 man. I don't think that was a huge consideration 
with this trade. I think the Orioles were just trying to maximize the return for both those guys. The Orioles could just as easily have opened up those 40-man roster spots by DFAing a Joey Crable, a DJ Stewart, somebody who's on the fringes of the roster. They're going to have to have roster spots available soon because Adley Rutschman, who we're going to talk about in a minute, is not on the 40-man roster uh, Grayson Rodriguez, who might debut this year, is not on the 40-man. Kyle Stowers is not on the 40-man. Bradish and Hall are. But at some point, if these guys are going to debut early in the 2022 season, then they're going to have to open up some 40-man roster spots. Yeah, none of the guys that the Orioles got in the return for this trade are going to be added to the 28-man roster for opening day. So that is really in flux. But like you mentioned, Adley Rutschman, one of those names that will not be on the 20-man roster for opening day. Michael Elias saying that he won't be ready for opening day with the Orioles or with AAA Norfolk, but hopes that he can get back to game action in a few weeks. Yeah, frustrating, I'm sure, for Adley, who has really never had... Aside from really when he was sick at the beginning of his pro career, when he first signed with the Orioles and missed a couple of weeks with mononucleosis, he really has not had any injury yet in his pro career. So this is frustrating, I'm sure, for him. And it's frustrating because I know Orioles fans are looking around baseball and seeing all these top prospects make their debuts like a Spencer Torkelson or a Bobby Witt Jr. who are going to be on their opening day roster. And you think about what could have been And I think the Orioles would have, we talked about it. We thought that they probably would have, if they were, you know, if we were flipping a coin over 50, 50% chance that they would have, um, you know, gone with Adley Rutschman as their opening day catcher potentially. Uh, But it's just frustrating. I'm sure he will be get at least some game action at triple A Norfolk before he gets called back up, maybe two or three weeks. And they'll see how he does once he's in game action before they call him up, but we'll see. Yeah, frustrating too when you look at the top prospects around baseball. And like you said, if if Adley Rutschman were not injured, honestly, at this point, I would have anticipated him being your opening day starting catcher because you look around baseball and we don't know the exact details of the compensation for calling up a top prospect. But it seems like it might be pretty good considering when you look at the Royals who are probably going to be starting Bobby Witt Jr. at third base on opening day, the Tigers calling up Spencer Torkelson, the Mariners just informed Julio Rodriguez that he will be making the opening day roster. So it seems like the incentives for calling up those top prospects must be pretty good or else teams around baseball would not be going in this direction. Absolutely. But again, I think we'll see him soon. One thing I do want to talk about, Brendan, I don't know if it was on the the agenda, Trey Mancini's new contract yes, for 2022 and potentially 2023. Yeah, Trey Mancini signs a new deal with the Orioles. He kind of said it was more or less a roundabout way of avoiding the arbitration process, but nonetheless, a deal gets done with a mutual option for 2023, like you said. It's just nice that it doesn't have to go to arbitration and the Orioles and Trey Mancini can figure something out the old-fashioned way there. Yeah, it, it seems like the, the way that they've kind of Deferred the money and deferred by that. I mean, it comes at the end of the season. So essentially, if he is traded during the season, a portion of the contract, which is a little bit less than $8 million, would be paid by the team that ends up trading for him. Um, And it does include that 2023 mutual option. But Mancini said himself also that mutual options tend to be declined by, by one side, at least, because either the player has a higher number in his mind or the team has a lower number in their mind. And so a mutual option requires both sides to be on the exact same page. 
this keeps the door open, I think, for him to return on a, a, an exact dollar amount, um, but not by that much. I think there it doesn't really change the equation when you talk about Trey Mancini's long-term future with the Orioles. Right. I don't, I don't think this impacts him down the line. I think this is just kind of a stopgap deal so that you don't have to go through the entire arbitration process. And the number that he gets this year, pretty close to what he would have gotten in that arbitration process. So you're just kind of settling on what you thought it would have been there, but glad that the Orioles could get that done. Paul, we just ran through a lot of news that broke over the last few days. Is there anything we missed as opening day is just around the corner? Uh, I'm going to take a nap and a Mucinex. Sure. That's the, the, the top news for me. Uh, yeah. Maybe get some throat coat tea and uh, try to try to rest up ahead of opening day. Can't be missing the, uh, the festivities for opening day for Friday and then home opener, of course, on Monday. And you and I have a ballpark tour yeah. that we're going to take tomorrow. We're going to be uh, getting a view of the new digs, the new food, the new gear, and perhaps the new left field wall, Brendan. Perhaps, perhaps. And hopefully Paul and I will be ready by opening day. Hopefully we will all be healthy and all of those good things. Hopefully we'll be with you here on Mass and All Access on Friday before the Orioles take on the Rays. Make sure you're watching that on Facebook and YouTube as well. And you can find it after the fact on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Anywhere you find your podcasts, you can find the Masson All Access Podcast. Ready or not, opening day is almost here, and we hope that you can join us on Friday here on Masson All Access. Hopefully, Paul and I will be with you, and hopefully, we will see you then. Thanks for tuning in.